anybody there. Hi there. Hey. Hi, Jen. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday to you. You ready? I'm ready. All right. All right. Well, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to do this on a Sunday of all days. Can you tell me where you're from and, uh, and what got you into writing? Okay, so I grew up in the burbs of New Jersey, central Jersey, um, the land of shopping malls, uh, gas stations, you know, classic burbs. Yeah, yeah. My town had a lot of horse farms. Um, Mm. So I grew up there and then uh, went to college in upstate New York, spent a few years in New York City after school, moved to Boston for a few years. after school, I'll just wrap this into the writing piece. I, my last year of school, I took this writing for magazines class and that just got me really excited about magazines. So after school, I worked in uh, magazines in New York City and that was a lot of fun. And so I was sort of going down this path of uh, journalism and magazine writing. Moved to Boston for a few years and then moved to Atlanta for a few years, well, 14 years. And then, um, <laughs> made this journey out to California. Um, Mm -hmm. So I live in Northern California, in Davis, near Sacramento, um, with my family. And I would say probably about seven or eight years ago, I kind of made the shift from like journalism writing into creative writing. And that was like largely driven by the desire to write a memoir, which I had always wanted to do, but it was like, okay, it's time. Started taking some classes, um, memoir, personal essay, and then this is sort of the short version, but um, I knew that when we moved, I wanted to look into MFA programs. So Mm -hmm. after we moved to California, I applied to UC Davis because we're living here and it's a good program. Um, so I went there, I joked that I did my pandemic MFA, which (laughs) was, you know, mostly on Zoom, but it's great community. Um, and I was able to get a lot out of that writing in different genres, um, and working on my memoir and yeah, that's where I'm at now. So I'm hoping <laughs> to do the final, you know, revisions of the manuscript and hopefully it's taking shape into becoming a book. Mm. Are you pretty far along? Do you think like you're, you're almost to it or are you still putting some pieces together of the book? So I have a full manuscript that I've been revising and um, kind of the more recent uh, additions are sort of like these myth stories. And I, in the past year, I've gotten really into collaging. Oh, I saw that on your website. um, They look great. Thank you. So I'm um, bringing some of those in to, so it's more of a hybrid Mm. memoir. So it's in what I think is the final stages, but I guess there's always room for more revision. I love the day I can stop saying that I'm revising this memoir. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited to get to talk to you about the collage in particular and how those things start making their way into the uh, memoir aspect of your life. But to, to begin with, were you writing when you were younger? Did you always have that inclination or was this something that came to you when you were older? You know, I did have it in my head that I wanted to be a writer when I was younger, but I wasn't like writing nonstop. I would say I was a reader. Like I was always a reader. Yeah. Um, and then I think in high school, I thought I was writing some poetry and 
you know, thought that that was something I wanted to do. And then when I got to college, there wasn't like a writing major per se. So I kind of shifted gears. Um, I was a psychology major, mm. which I like to say is still like the study of people, yeah. which comes in handy, you know, for, for writing and creative writing. Um, so I think I had the idea that I would like to be a writer, but it seemed like this far off kind of like, mm. I don't know how you go and do that. Like yeah. it seemed like, um, yeah. you know, a dream of like somebody sitting at their typewriter. It's like sometimes there's no pathway to certain things. They they just seem like a mystical sort of faraway thing that, oh, only, you know, certain magical people get to do that. Um, yeah. Do you remember what you were reading at the time or things that really stuck with you when you were younger or maybe got into college? Yeah, you know, I was just kind of reading whatever I could get my hands on from the library <laughs> or school. Um, I do remember like Harriet the Spy and there were like a lot of these kind of mysteries detectives when I was really young, like the Nancy Drew, you know, the Bobsy twins. Like it was very much like the protagonist was always trying to solve these mysteries and and I loved it. Um, so I think I always thought that there would be like mysteries to solve uh, um, in, in life, which, you know, maybe there are, right? Like, yeah, yeah. it's, um, I do think like even writing memoirs, like you're trying to solve like I was the, just gonna say the narrative of your <laughs> of your life or you know, some part of it, right? So yeah, you're looking for like truth. Um, so I was reading that. Um, I do remember I took this um English course in college and it was um I hadn't taken a lot of English classes and it was so much reading. Like I remember just getting this. <laughs> back and I was like oh this is what it's like to be an English major like I like to read but it was um a course called the 60s so mm. we're reading like the autobiography of Malcolm X like um on the road you know it was it was great uh but it's it was like in a very um short amount of time and I was like wow yeah I'm not sure I, I'm glad I'm not an English major like, <laughs> like I had to read like a lot of yeah yeah um so yeah just being a reader and then I think I was always a really good student. So the way I used to think about writing was sort of like just getting assignments and taking classes. Mm. Um, and I think at some point you shift away from that to, um, I mean, freelance journalism is still like that. You're like pitching and you get yeah. assignments and you have deadlines and you're working with an editor. So there is that like structure. Mm -hmm. And I think like for me with creative writing, it can be harder to um, create that kind of structure and timeline. Mm. Do you feel like when did it get to the point where you felt like you were finding your footing as a writer? Uh, because you, you did go to a lot of different places and you had a, a handful of chapters. When did you feel if one ever feels comfortable in those, in those writing shoes? Yeah, I don't think there was like one moment for me. I do think that like, I would say for me, like one of the things that has really helped me was learning to read my work in front of other people. Like mm. that was not something that I was comfortable with or even like, you know, giving talks or presentations. Yeah. But I think that that has been important to the process. Mm -hmm. um, so just like reading your work aloud. Um, and I think, you know, in class to do that and you just like, it's a practice, right? So the more you right. do that, the more comfortable you get. 
Um, and I think because I had published before, like journalistic work, I understood that process, mm. but it actually felt really different when it was like the personal writing that was getting yeah. published. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that because it's a huge leap and, you know, having the the pleasure of reading some of your work that you had on the website was, was so moving because it gets to, to the core of this really heartbreaking mindset of somebody who is looking for ancestry, at least the one that I, that I read, which was, uh, I think I still have it here. It was confessions to my ancestors. I can't imagine, you know, and I'm an, I'm an actor, you know, like I, I studied that being at peace in some ways, you know, enough to write about it is a very powerful act, a very powerful thing. And so I can't imagine the difficulty of, of workshopping something like that. Yeah, with a group of people. And I'm sorry, I totally cut you off, but I just had to share that thought because that was a very moving piece that you shared there. Thank you. I mean, what can can you tell me a little bit about what that process was like, maybe taking those first pieces out and and having them see the light of day in a group or, or in a workshop setting? I can say that it for me, it can be terrifying. And mm-hmm. I think it has gotten less terrifying, but sometimes there's still like this feeling of like, you've just put, you know, your most vulnerable moments onto paper and then you put it out into the world where people, you know, and don't know are going to read it. Um, So I'm not sure that I've reached the point where it's peaceful, Um, but I think And a lot of people said to me that, you know, that's similar to acting where you're putting yourself out there Mm -hmm. and you show up in a way. And I think that the more vulnerable you are, the more people respond to that. So the more I did it, the more I understood that this is actually important to the work and to being able to, you know, um, connect with an audience, right? That it isn't just... um, for me in my home or, you know, my journal, um, that there is a way that the art of writing is about being able to take your words and like somehow make a mark or impact on somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that's like really a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I don't have too much advice about how to get past the fear you know, the fears involved with like, oh my gosh, my family's going to read this or, oh my gosh, like, um, I don't know if I can say this. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, culturally too, like I was raised in a household in a family where, you know, the secrets and or sort of private matters are meant to be like kept in the home. Mm-hmm. So there's like this whole other kind of barrier of like, oh my gosh, I'm like breaking some code, Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. airing uh, dirty laundry, you know, to be airing things that are not, um, you know, like the shiny success stories of right, uh, right. my people. It's it's <laughs> funny you mentioned that because I was just talking to, to a previous guest earlier this morning about this feeling of airing out laundry, you know, as, whether it's poetry or, or even in, in fiction, you know, there's a lot that we imbue from our personal experience, you know, and, and something that has been really difficult for me personally as the the child of immigrants. I know that that culturally, you know, 
Mexican-Americans have a way different experience than Asian-Americans or, or, you know, folks of different cultures. But it seems like there might be a little through line there of what you experience in the home, you keep in the home. And how dare you bring that out into society? Um, I guess I guess I'm curious of of how this has delayed your writing, because I think that for me, it takes me a long time to to get certain things out. And I don't know how to find the through lines of of what that work is going to look like on paper. Do you feel like for this work, for the memoir that you're working on, that you have found the anchors that will allow you to bring these things out, or at least the things that you feel are most important about your story so far? That was like a million questions in one tangent, so <laughs> feel free to parse through what you what you will. <laughs> I think that's a great way of asking um, sort of the process and of writing memoir. I think that, you know, to find these like threads and through lines where, um, you know, for me personally, they, they um, ring true and then also make sense to a reader, mm. you know, someone else who doesn't know me. I think in the beginning, sometimes there's this way that, um, we assume that it's clear, uh, you know, what, what you're like, what your family's like, you know, what the, what the environment around you is like, because you've grown up in it. So it's mm -hmm. just kind of like the air you breathe. Yeah. Um, but how do you translate that, you know, for someone else who doesn't sure. know? I mean, I think one thing for me, I'm sort of like, like to take classes, you know, I just like, I find that that gives me the chance to, you know, draft and revise and see what's working. Um, so I think that as I've gone along, you know, there've been these different versions and while each version felt like as far as I could go with it, it maybe wasn't complete, mm -hmm. but the more I add, I'm sort of a slow writer. So I, I know some people write like, you know, they're like, oh, I have 500 pages. And I'm like, wow, that's so amazing. Like, you could have two books. Like, that's you could edit it down. Um, but, you know, I, I'm sort of more like collect the pieces and kind of know what parts are sort of the heart of the story. Mm -hmm. And then I'm sort of building around that. And like the anchors you said, I've sort of come to this place where they're sort of like, a narrative um, that part of my story takes place during the college years and having a major depression um, and then sort of flashing back to childhood and forward. Mm -hmm. So I'm sort of moving around in time and then I've sort woven these um, myth stories into different parts. Um, and then I have this other uh, piece theme, like section piece that is definitions. So like Chinese definitions. Mm. And so um, I'm not sure how it's working all together yet. Yeah. Uh, but those pieces, like the opening one right now is about Mahjong. And so it's just sort of like a brief, quick glimpse at the game, but using mm -hmm. the word. And that's sort of my way of trying to, like, I'm not, um, Mandarin was my first language, but I'm like an elementary level conversational speaker. Mm. So sort of like my way of saying, you know, I'm not like this expert. These are like these glimpses mm. into the language yeah. and very much the way um, I connect to it. 
So, and I think that those just come. I admire people who already know the structure and know the sort of like arc of their story. Mm-hmm. I would say that for me, I think because this is, you know, the first time I'm doing this, um, that it was very much like try to get all the pieces there and then sift through to find uh, how that narrative can work. Yeah. And that seems to take a lot of patience on your end to to just sit with certain things, much like we do in in most of our lives. If we weren't writers, we would just be sitting with this stuff uh, nonstop. But uh, looking at your own history, and I hope this isn't an offensive question, um, but I always feel like I have to research my own culture. I feel like I'm constantly just clueless in terms of where I am culturally, where I stand, just because I'm, you know, I'm a Mexican kid raised in a white community, you know, and so there's always like things that I have to go deeper on. And so as you're going through this exploration of your personal experience and you're looking for myths or you're looking for things within your culture to kind of give you some kind of framework, how does that research happen for you? Like, how are you making that happen? Sure. I love that question. A lot of that research is like within my own family. Mm-hmm. So um, I've been interviewing my dad every Friday. Um, <laughs> sometimes they were just like chatting about, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, the weather. But um, <laughs> that's uh, as dads are, I, I, I should say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> They'll just talk I mean, to you about I the weather. <laughs> I didn't um, grow up with a lot of like familial stories of like how the family moved from mainland China to Taiwan to the US. Um, like I kind of knew like a sketch. Um, so I, it was only like after I turned 40 that I was like, oh, I really need to get these stories down. Like this Mm. is, you know, the time. So I started interviewing him. And so there's just really fascinating things that I just never knew. And that's partially familial history, um, like, uh, ancestors and like, we have this book of names. Um, it's fascinating, you know, he'll just throw out this stuff about like yeah because his great grandfather was like a tax collector and the tax was on salt and so wow. this was like you know a valuable commodity <laughs> so there's yeah, like this three yeah. and so you know i started looking up about the history of salt and i was like mm-hmm. oh this is like really like was you know an important position <laughs> uh, uh so you know i think that there's like a way that the family history kind of is a jumping point for me to look into other Mm. um, historical elements. Um, So I think that it's, it's not like largely research driven, but I think it's been important for me to learn more about my family's history and then how that connects with them being immigrants and, you know, the being in this country and growing up, um, as a ABC American born Chinese, mm-hmm. there's commonalities with other people. So like I went to Saturday Chinese school, um, for like 10 years, this was mm-hmm. like, just what you did. My dad was like the principal, um, <laughs> it was just the lunar new year celebrations. And so right. I, um, invited some of our family friends over and I made all the kids, regardless of whether they speak any Chinese or not <laughs> to say, uh, go she thoughts. I went to is uh you know happy new year and then you mm. give them the hotel which is the red envelope and i was like <laughs> for me really was like um 
yay, I got to be an auntie. Like, oh. I, um, <laughs> sometimes feel like I'm just sort of uh, trying to come up with the traditions mm. and the culture, pass it on to my children yeah. because I can't pass on the language. And so right. they're just like small things. And um, that's sort of looking at like the future generation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's such a difficult thing, right? To hold on to as much as humanly possible and then pass it on. Um, but I, I'm noticing, you know, and forgive me if I'm just rambling, but I think about responsibility a lot. And I'm curious, as you mentioned, the research that you're doing with family and getting to talk to your to your dad about this sort of thing or any other relative, do you feel like you have this responsibility to share their story as much as yours? Or will ultimately this be something that that can only be your perspective? How do you how do you negotiate that with yourself? Because it's it's a lot. I mean, I, I know that culturally there's a lot of feeling like you're carrying everyone you're bringing everyone with you and uh i'm i'm just very interested in that perspective of yours i've definitely thought about that a lot and i think it's shifted a bit i think that there was a point where i was videoing my dad so it was very much like these you know interviews you know i wanted to preserve the history i wanted to have this mm. i would say all the time i'd be like someone someone should be documenting this he's, he's a interesting history and my husband would be like you that's you <laughs> you know like i meant like yeah. at a museum but yeah you're you know. the family's conscience right <laughs> so so you know you you have this and at some point in the writing it became clear to me that i'm not like documenting my dad it's not his memoir it's not like i'm like you know taking his story and like putting it into you know some sort of format mm -hmm. um and i had to tell him that like i had to tell him i think he thought that that's what we were doing because mm. you know i'm interviewing him telling these stories yeah. um uh but you know that's a different type of project and i think that, that can be really important too like the family history project and if that's like just for your family or mm -hmm. um i think that is really important to have yeah right like just um to preserve at some point for me though it became clear that this is uh i can only write the story that is from my own experience so while i can weave his story and my grandmother's story in it's really about how that impacted my life mm -hmm. um and my experience and you yeah. hope that there is still like it's not so specific that it's only my experience you hope that there is something that's really resonant to everyone that even if they're not a child of immigrants that there is you know a certain amount of pressure that you feel um you know emphasis mm -hmm. on achievement and, and how that you know plays out with more complicated layers like the essay you read has um the threat of intergenerational trauma and mm -hmm. that sort of idea of, like you know, you're migrating from different places and the idea of belonging and how do you find this uh, sense of belonging within your own yeah. culture, but also growing up in the U.S. Yeah. And that's why I appreciated about that essay, Confessions to My Ancestors, because it felt very timely, clearly a response to a lot of the horrific things that were happening right now, you know, uh, uh, with, with anti-Asian hate and, and that sort of uh, movement that is happening, unfortunately. But you do this so well in that, in a very concise way, 
you weave in the timely, but it's personal, deeply intimate, and you're still getting a lot of those personal perspectives from family, uh, which I think mm-hmm. was so powerful because it gives you that sort of historical arc. I, I don't even know how this happens, but you know, maybe you could uh, illustrate for me just as a little microcosm of process, right? Like, how does something like this article happen? Like, could you give me a little bit about what kind of state you were in when you were writing this? This is a special project to me. Um, that essay, Confessions to My Ancestors, was part of virtual residency with the Seventh Wave. Mm. So they have this whole process, and it's really wonderful. But it was over three months, and you have a cohort. And so the pitch was actually, um, they have a theme, and the theme of that issue was root systems. And so when I saw the call for submissions, I really felt like, well, that's you know, really uh, fascinating to me and is what I'm writing about and thinking about. And how can I um, at least pitch something that would maybe fit what they're mm-hmm. looking for? And so it was just a letter. And this is a little unusual with the literary magazines. Usually you have the finished piece and then you decide if, whether they want it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was just a letter. And I wrote that the, here's some of the questions I'm thinking about. I'd love to write about it. So it wasn't a finished piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had the idea of um, looking at intergenerational trauma. I've done this with other essays where it's very much like I'll do the definitions and I'll try to take that kind of um, maybe like more dictionary sounding um, language, but Mm -hmm. make it personal. Mm. Um, And so I can't remember if some, I think some parts did come from my memoir that were already written Mm-hmm. Um, not in that order, uh, but that myth story was not braided into the essay, so it was something separate, the Silver Lake of Forgetting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with this essay, I was like, oh, I really want it to be braided. I think that the braid will also give this um, the reader the experience of the intergenerational trauma, which is sometimes hard to hold on to. Like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. How does it? affect a person um, and a family. And so the way it came together was a little bit organic. Um, and it it feels very much to me like the collage process, right? Like mm. collaging, you take the different pieces, you don't know what it's going to look like, but you have kind of a theme or an idea. And then there's a lot of like intuitive placement. So I'm mm. someone who just moves things around, tries to find where there might be like a gap. Um, until it feels to me like there's some sort of emotional arc and um, a story, right? Like something that yeah. other people read and feel like there's all these layers. Um, and I was able to bring the collage in. And that was the first time I was like, is this okay? You know, like, <laughs> oh, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a background in this. Um, you know, is this working? And so I love that experience of trying something new. And then I also felt really that I hit a point where I'm like, I'm really happy with this. Like it feels whole. Like it didn't mm-hmm. feel like I still, you know, keep revising. I was like, this is, you know, this is what it was meant to be, even if I didn't know that in the beginning. Right. Oh, that's so fascinating. I'm curious if this is going to be part of the the memoir that you're working on or if, it, if this is going to be its own sort of standalone thing. Will it be included? 
I, so initially it wasn't, but then after it was done and I was working on my most recent revision, I was like, wow, you know, I think this should be part of my memoir. Mm. So I brought it in. I feel that the voice of it is very true to the memoir where it is like an older narrator that's trying to piece together childhood, college, and, you know, how does that um, also have more of a universal tie-in mm-hmm. to um, migration, mental health, uh, identity, um, you know, wow. where things are, you, you referenced, uh, you know, the past few years with anti-Asian violence and he has been really devastating. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, just this past week, I really felt it, mm-hmm. um, with shootings following the lunar new year celebrations. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that far from where we live. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, like more personal ties. Um, yeah. And so it's hard. It's hard to navigate. I think that in the way that writing helps me figure out, you know, the the different questions and uh, even what the news and cultural and personal conversations are around it. Um, yeah. It can be very emotional and it's almost like you could very easily get lost in the reporting in the frenzy of information and for something that's as personal you know as as your own culture being in the middle of an attack it's almost like you have to retreat and make it personal again and and claim it right claim it once again i think so i think that that's for me sort of this idea that you're not writing for everyone Mm -hmm. that you're really you know who am i writing for yeah and i i think it's you know as as writers to know the reasons that are important to you for why you write and for me it really is like um the memoir i have this written down (laughs) and it was um you know the first time i said it i kind of like got teary and it was because it was true but sometimes you like say or write something and you're like oh yeah it's (laughs) almost a surprise to you and you're moved and i'm like oh those are the moments that i feel that something is very true yeah and so i think like for me one of the reasons that i write is to save a life even if that one life is my own Mm. right like i hope that it will you know have a positive influence on other people but i know for me that this is important for what i do Mm. Um, that is so powerful that that really is because at the end of the day you start with one you start with yourself right and Mm -hmm. if there is any kind of healing from that creative work i mean that is the best blessing anyone could ask for and then everything else is just kind of like a a magnet of good of expression that will hopefully help others atone or heal in some way maybe ask a question about themselves but that's actually i'm going to frame that put it on my my wall whenever i'm hitting my head against the desk trying to figure out why why do i want to do this or why do we continue to to follow this difficult path i love that and i think that you know i've been in a lot of workshops and workshop can sometimes be about like you know, getting feedback and critique and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to help make the work better. But I feel like one of the most important things that uh, anyone could say to me, and people have said this, is like, your story is important. Like, your story mm-hmm. matters. 
And I think I would say that to you and everyone else that the world needs your story. Like mm. no one else can tell it the way you can. Mm. And so to know that even in the like most frustrating moments <laughs> of, you know, not being sure whether you want to continue or how long you've been working on it, I think it really is like you're doing something important and um the only way to make that happen is to take the next step. So whether whether that means like sitting down and working on it or you know taking a walk like I don't even think it has to be like at your computer. But yeah. whatever it is that you find encouraging to take the next step, like just keep doing that. It's incredible. And uh, I, I might put that on repeat too, you know, if I ever need a, a little bit of a boost. That's really why I do these podcasts. I just need a, <laughs> a writing yeah, boost. <laughs> sort of reminders, right? Like we yeah, need reminders. Yeah. Like I think, you know, like with everything going on, the more gentle those reminders can be so that it's not that you're a taskmaster on yourself that really like, you know, there should be some amount of joy or excitement yeah. or curiosity like that that this isn't you know just something you have to do that's been assigned to you and mm -hmm. is you know a heavy burden right um, right it's a very good point but we we do need to keep ourselves in check in that way to find the levity in what we're doing but i wanted to ask you because i'm just backtracking a little bit on your experiences in workshops and whether you feel like you've been in the right rooms for development for culturally sensitive stuff. I know mm -hmm. I've talked to a lot of folks who have expressed sometimes concern that I'm in a white room. You know, it feels like there's no nuance in some of the things that I want to talk about because it's you're primarily not in what you, you might call a safe space. Has that been an issue for you at all or, or as you're developing some of this writing? I definitely know that feeling. And I would just say that I've been really lucky. And one of the things that I've been trying to do, um, I think the first uh, workshop that was specifically for writers of color um, that I did was Vona in 2018. And so Vona is all writers of color mm -hmm. and um, to be in a room. And I think like the first conversation, um, everyone went around and everybody felt some degree of imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. you know, like that, that they weren't supposed to be in memoir or, you know, hadn't, hadn't like had enough publications or whatever it is. And, and there was something so, um, uh, relieving to me to understand that that was like, oh, we've all felt this way. Mm -hmm. And maybe that is also from being in a lot of rooms with, um, not writers of color, you know, like just white faces. Sure. Um, I think that for me, that experience was so incredible that I sought out more of those spaces mm -hmm. and um, where there's, where there aren't, I try to make those spaces. Mm -hmm. So I'll just give a shout out to Tin House. Tin House I've done for two summers. They've mm -hmm. really done a wonderful job of having instructors of color, having faculty of color and uh the the writers there have been of all different backgrounds um identity uh mm -hmm. it, it just yeah that that was really magical <laughs> um and then seventh wave is also another um place that i found mm -hmm. um and then uh a friend of mine um 
we started a writers of color group in the Sacramento area oh, cool. for women writers of color. Mm. Um, so that's been great. Um, so I think that if you feel that you're in rooms where um, your story doesn't resonate because of race or other mm. identity, um, that to find the spaces where it is safe and mm. you can speak from a place that you know doesn't feel like someone's trying to um, ask you to explain something that automatically implies that they're not your audience, right? Like that, mm, yeah. you know, like what, what does that mean? What is that food? Like what, you yeah, know, like yeah. the questions, um, I think that, uh, early on, I think that I got this question and it's a valid one, but it felt, it was, I think sort of the Vivian Gornick, you know, the, so what, mm. um, early on I heard that so what is like why should we care about your story you know like what this is like not um important and I mm -hmm. think that to uh try not to put yourself in spaces where that your work is going to be diminished um because the readers don't understand mm -hmm. and just a, a couple more here uh the first one being uh the idea of service within the creative community because by starting a group like that you're you're getting into a different category of looking out for others in in a way and having a, a kind of responsibility of service to other creatives can you tell me a little bit about the benefits of doing such a thing just for folks who may be listening because you know you kind of mentioned this before but i i'd like to know the hardships of that sort of thing and the payoffs of, of such a thing, even though we kind of talked about it a little bit, if you could expand on that just a moment. Sure. I think for me, like having community and having a community of writers is so important to the work I'm doing. I find inspiration from it. I find connection. I think that, you know, as we go through the process of publishing, there are all sorts of things that come up mm -hmm. and to know that there are people that you can talk to and count on and see and celebrate each other's wins. I think that's huge. Mm -hmm. um, I am a big believer that there's enough room for all of our stories. So I don't see it as a competition. I see it as like we lift each other up. And so um, I, while there might be some, you know, time spent organizing or, you know, trying to um, make those spaces. I get so much from them that it's not really a question of like, is this a benefit? It's a huge benefit. Mm -hmm. um, I I started doing these online collage sessions. Oh, cool! And, and, and there's something like really healing about just bringing people together. There's so much, you know, that we're doing, doing, doing. And just to take an hour, an hour and a half out of your day to like do something that's just for you and doesn't have to, you know, the end product doesn't have to be like something. <laughs> <laughs> so, so just meditative, but um, the different groups. Um, oh, 
uh, I'll just say um, Kearney Street Workshop has been a great arts organization in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I've read there. That's a great community. I think that as you make these connections and bridges, um, AWP is coming up. I don't know if you're going, but it's in Seattle. Um, yeah. And I remember the first time I went, I didn't know anyone. Um, and it's like hundreds and hundreds of writers. It's just like so many people. <laughs> You know, it can be yeah. overwhelming, but I think that as you like build your community, you start to know people and then, um, you know, you're on panels together. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're in these different summer workshops, you can, you know, start to have friendships and mm-hmm. um, those friendships are so uh, life-giving, <laughs> you know, like I think yeah. that for me at the end of the day, it's not just like writing um, that's important, but it's like how you spend your day, like mm-hmm. how you, um, I think it's Annie Dillard, like <laughs> how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. Yeah. Right. Like, so just like finding things that are meaningful to you and finding people that you can have this shared experience around. Mm-hmm. It's just a beautiful thing. That sounds incredible. And, you know, I've been talking to enough writers now that I, I feel like I might have to make my way over to AWP one of these days and, and join in on the fun. But lastly, I want to ask you, because it's the last, almost the last day of January, and I've been asking most of my January guests if they have any kind of personal resolutions or what do you call them, uh, intentions uh, to mm. improve your writing or your craft this year, even if it's for this specific project, what are you looking to achieve this year? to to improve the work you're doing wow that is um a big question yes (laughs) i i am someone who actually at the end of the year i do sort of a just a personal year end recap i i have a friend um she's a wonderful writer um and we started doing this this monthly accountability session anyone Mm -hmm. can do this um, but basically, we just kind of like I'll write up my wins, um, challenges, uh, things I hope to work on. So mm-hmm. at the end of the year, I kind of pull that together. And then for the uh, for the next year, for 2023, I try to map out these different areas. Um, and I, the start to the year has not been as smooth as I had hoped. <laughs> And I have been, you know, saying that the Lunar New Year is going to be a reset. Um, I'm just looking for a reset. <laughs> so I'm not trying to have too many big lofty goals. I think that it really is as small as like uh, a word or an intention. Um, and the word that keeps coming up for me lately is wonder. And that is just like, can be in writing, can be in life. And there's no like pressure or, um, you know, time limit on like feeling these moments of wonder. Um, So that's, I hope to have them in my writing. I hope to have them, you know, everywhere. Um, So I would say that's my intention. I love that, man. I'm just stealing all your advice today. Uh, wonder everywhere more wonder that's what we need and with that said i think that's a beautiful note to end on and jen i want to thank you for sharing with us so much uh this beautiful writing that you've done and your 
vulnerability, reminding us that it's important and it's a gift, liberates us from a lot of the hardship that's come before, but it also gives us a, a framework to move forward. And this has been such a pleasure. I just can't wait for your work to come out. And when it does, feel free to come by and say hi. You know, let me know how things went. And, uh, and I'll be here, you know, happy to pick up where we left off because this has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much, Jamie. I love speaking with you and I love what you're doing. And I hope we get the chance to talk again. Always, always. Well, I'm going to give you the rest of your Sunday back. I hope you have a wonderful time. Happy writing. And, uh, and I'll bug you later on the internet. <laughs> Sounds great. All right. You take care. Thanks so much, okay, Jen. Bye, Jamie. Bye.